Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want to take a moment and welcome you. We want to tell you how happy we are that you've chosen to be here. There are a lot of things you can do with your Sunday morning, and so being here is, uh, is a special thing for us. And so I hope you'll give us an opportunity to meet you. Also give us an opportunity to uh, get to know you. In order to facilitate that, we have lunch prepared. Um, Going to be in this fellowship hall right over here after worship. If you are a visitor, a new member, or a college student, you are welcome to that. But they really don't police that, so anybody who wants to can show up and have lunch. Um, they will be more than happy to feed you. So if you haven't uh, and you're wondering how do I get connected with people, that's a good place to start. Do that right there. Um, I have a lot of things going on this time of year. I want to take a couple of moments and announce a couple of things. One of those is the uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes that are out here at the Hub. If you uh, don't know what those are, you'll notice when you go out, they're like a little shoe box, and basically you just fill those things up with uh, stuff, hygiene products, personal items. Uh, you put one wow item in there, toy or, or, or whatnot. Those go to missionaries overseas, and they use those as incentives. They use those as, as uh, gifts that they give out at special events that bring people in, and they can teach them the gospel. And so... Really not a big deal. It's a, it's a great tool if you're a parent. You want to teach your kids about service. You want to teach your kids about international missions or whatever. Take them to the dollar store. Fill one of those things up. Doesn't cost you a lot of money, but it's a great teaching tool. You might want to jump in on that. So if you're visiting with us, we are starting, uh, well, we're not starting. We're in our third series of our week our third week of our series on uh, thin places. And the idea of that is, that there are certain places where the fabric between our world and the spiritual world is thin. There are certain places, certain spaces, where we feel more keenly the presence of God. And there's a lot of those, and we hope to do a class sometime and go into all those. Specifically, we're looking at things that have to do with worship. And last week we talked about song. This week we're going to talk about the ultimate thin place, or one of the ultimate thin places, I believe, and that's prayer. Now, if you grow up in church, you learn a lot about prayer. When I grew up in church, I learned all kind of things about prayer. Um, I learned the word debly, D-E-B-M-L-Y. My dad started every prayer with that, debly father. Debly, that we learned that. Um, we learned about uh, the sick and afflicted. Um, I don't know that I've ever met an afflicted person, but it sounds awful. But we prayed for them every week. Um, we learned, we had some people that uh, they would pray and, and they would uh, only put G's on words that didn't belong there. Does that make sense? Um, but we had a guy in our church, he would say, Lord, we're not asking, we're just praying. Lord, bless your children. And, and it, it kind of confusing, but that's okay. You know, the prayer, well, there was certain times that we said things in prayer that we didn't say other times, like sick and afflicted, or like, uh, um, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's usually in that kind of lilt. Um, God, guard, and direct us, and bring us back to the next appointed time. You remember those? Um, all kind of things that happen like that in prayer. Um, then I went to college, and when you get to, to Bible college, then prayer becomes this time when guys try to, try to out-spiritualize each other. 
because Bible majors are no different than any other major. We're all trying to impress the girls. And um, that's, that's the way they're doing that is to, to, to out-spiritualize each other in prayer. And so they would use things. One of the, one of the go-tos was Father God. Um, one word, Father God. And sometimes it would be a, a spacer to help you think of what to say next. Oh, Father God. Father God. Father God, we just want to pray. You, you, you're with me. The word just, you would use the word just 28 times. Father God, we just want to pray to you. We just want to say, God, just, just show up, God. Just, just be here, Father God. You're with me? That's, that's how it was in, in, uh, in, in Bible school, Bible college. Um, there was the, the little John prayer grunt. Somebody said something you liked. You didn't say it. I mean, you said, mm. that, that was, some of y'all been there. Um, sometimes you would pray worship songs when you couldn't think of what else to say. Oh, Father God, you're greater. God, you're higher. God, you are stronger than any other. Um, you with me? Um, and anyway, that now there's the social media prayer. And you see this show up on your feed where you, uh, you, you click like and share or a puppy dies or something like that. Um, if you don't share this, Jesus hates you. I don't know how it, how it works, but that's the, the, the new thing. Prayer, though, is one of the most common phenomena of human life. Even deliberately non-religious people pray. Studies have shown that in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who have no religious preference, but even by many of those who do not believe in God. Isn't that fascinating? One 2004 study showed that nearly 30% of atheists admitted that they prayed sometimes. I don't know who they're praying to, but that's neither here nor there. The idea is that, that the frequency of prayer increases with age, um, even though among those who do not identify with the church or identify as particularly religious, that, that prayer is still something that happens. If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do, turn over to Luke chapter 11. That's where we're going. Because Luke, if you read the gospel of Luke, he does more with Jesus' prayer life than any of the other gospels. Um, there are nine prayers in Luke. Seven of those nine are only found in the gospel of Luke, not anywhere else. Luke shows that prayer was something that permeated Jesus' life. Luke shows that Jesus believed in the thin place of prayer. That Jesus lived in the thin place of prayer. Jesus would continually go back to that place because it was there that he connected to the real world. It was there that he connected to the Father. It was there that he connected to the power of his ministry. And Jesus understood prayer better than most of us do, and he spent so much time in it. In Luke chapter 11, we're going to, uh, we're going to find Jesus um, giving some instruction about prayer. And I think if we walk through this a little bit, we get a better idea for us what prayer is and, and how, how we can access that as a thin place. Luke chapter 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and let me just, this was always happening. If you follow through the Gospels, Jesus would go off by himself. He would go find a place to pray. He would 
get away from everybody else because he had to connect to God in prayer. Sometimes it doesn't even say he's praying. He just went off to be by himself. He just went off to a quiet place to find some solitude. Jesus understood those kind of things. We see him doing this a lot. Um, so Jesus is, is, is in a certain place. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, this was a common request. Rabbis would put their own spin on common prayers. There were certain prayers that Jews prayed every day at different times, and each rabbi would put their own little spin on that, and they would pray it in a certain way. And that's what these guys are asking. They're, Lord, we see you doing this all the time. We see you praying all the time. Teach us to pray like you. And now, you know, there are only, there's about two ways that you teach something. One is the, the systematic approach where you build on things, you know. And, and when my kids were little, they took swimming lessons. And, and they started just getting them acclimated to the water. And then they taught them safety. And then they taught them how to climb out of the pool. And then they taught them flotation. And then they worked in strokes and kicking and all that stuff. Now, many of you were taught to swim like I was, where Dad just said, go, swim. That's the second way to teach. There's two ways. Systematic approach where you build, and there's the here you go, hope you don't die. That's, that's our two ways of teaching. And Jesus does not go systematic here. He doesn't teach, okay, we're going to start with now I lay me down to sleep. No. Jesus goes right to the top. Master's level, uh, doctoral thesis kind of prayer, varsity level prayer. Jesus goes straight to the top and says, this is how you're going to pray. Whenever you pray, now, the word there that's translated when you pray, we get that and it says, like, if you're ever thinking about praying. Actually, the word there is, is more whenever. So he's assuming that you're going to pray. Whenever you pray, whenever you close your eyes, whenever you're, you're in, your, in your prayer closet, whenever you're on your knees, wherever it is that prayer occurs, it, it looks like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, I want to stop there. I want us to see how this is top-level prayer. This is varsity. This is, this is master's-level prayer. That, that Jesus is saying, whenever you're going to pray, this is what it's going to look like. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Exalted be your name. Whenever you pray, you're going to start with the idea that God, your reputation, your renown, your name be lifted up beyond everything else. It's God-centered. Jesus says, my prayer is going to be about God. God, this is about you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to always do that. I don't always go God-centered. Most of the time, my prayers end up Jeff-centered. God, I need this. God, I'm struggling with this. God, help me with this. And the problem with that is that it shifts us into an idolatrous mindset where I put Jeff in a place where God should be. Our prayers should be God-centered. Father, hallowed be your name. A lot of us get, get down and, and you, you, we talk about it. I have people talk to me and say, Jeff, I don't understand. God's not answering my prayer. God's not giving me this thing that I've prayed for. Maybe you're not praying for it for something that is going to hallow the name of God. Maybe you're praying for something that's going to hallow the name of Jeff. 
And perhaps that's why your answer is not what it is. But whatever it is you're praying about, whatever it is, whatever the cry of my heart is, we, we want it to be that God be lifted up. That my prayer be God-centered. The, the first thing he's saying is, don't forget who is the focal point of this prayer. The purpose of prayer is to lift God up. Hallowed be your name. You know, you remember in the other Gospels, they add, your kingdom come, your will be done. But, but he is saying, God is the center of this thing. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is going to be lifted up. The name of God is going to be exalted. That should be the focus of my prayer. And he's not going to leave this line of thinking ever. We're going to follow this all the way through, not just through the prayer, but into his teaching afterwards, because Jesus says prayer is all about lifting up the name of God. Prayer is all about God. Now, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, we read that out of context, and, it, and we go, you know, one, two, three, four, here's our checklist. That's not what he's doing here. This is still under the umbrella of lifting up the name of God. Glorify your name in my circumstances. Let yourself be seen as great. Let you be seen as, as mighty. Let you be seen as lifted up. Give me everything I need today to see you lifted up. Give me what I need to hallow your name. Give me today's portion. Give me what I need to make sure that I have the strength or the, or the energy to lift up your name, to hallow your name, that in every area of my life you may be glorified. That prayer is still about God. Because Jesus is not just praying, give me a slice of bread. He's referencing Proverbs chapter 30. Let me read you Proverbs 30 verse 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Give us this day our daily bread is saying, give me what I need to glorify your name. Don't give me too much, because then I get cocky and I think it all came from me. And I think, look at Jeff, look at how awesome he is. But don't give me too little, because then I'm going to go out and steal stuff, and that's going to dishonor your name as well. Give me just what I need to lift up and honor the name of God. His concern, not just throughout the prayer, but, but in everything, is, is the name and renown of God. Don't make me wealthy, don't make me poor, Give me what I need to make sure that you're lifted up. Now, we don't often pray that, right? We don't often pray that, and I, I, think, that, I think that shows up in a lot of our circumstances. Let me, let me give you a specific example. If, if you are struggling and in debt at 50000 a year, you're going to be struggling and in debt at $50 million a year. Because even though the zeros change, the you hasn't. And so I'm asking God, give me more money because then I'll be happy. But the money's not going to change the you. Or maybe we're in a marriage and we're thinking, God, this is work. And, and I'm, I'm struggling with this person. And, and I know there are other men out there. There are other women out there who are going to be easier to get along with. And so I start 
thinking about. Maybe, maybe there's an easier way out. But when reality is, the problem is me. And that common denominator doesn't change. And so, God says it's about lifting God up. Jesus says it's about lifting God up. Give me today what I need to glorify you. Give me what I need that your name be lifted up. Let's keep going. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. There are a couple of things I want us to look at here. Um, Some of us really struggle with prayer because when the lights are out and, and, and we're honest with ourselves and honest in the presence of God, we're we're kind of scoundrels. We're, we're kind of rough, and we know it. Now, we put on a good front, you know, when we put on our church clothes and we come to church and we put on our church face and we act like everything's great, but, but we're afraid to really pray because we're afraid if I get really close to God, He's going to burn out this sinfulness that's in me. If I get really close to God in prayer, He's going to point out to me all the things that I really know down deep are not right in my heart, and so I don't do it. And that's why that lukewarm Christianity is just a miserable place to be. You can't figure out why it's miserable, because you get none of the joy of being filled with the Spirit. You get none of the joy of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, but you also don't get that joy of, of that brief season of sin when, when before it destroys your life. You don't get any of that either. And so you're just miserable, because you get neither one. Jesus is acknowledging here that that we're going to come to God as a sinner. Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news. Because he's not saying that you need to have it all together, you need to have it all cleaned up and all straightened out, and you need to be all perfect before you can come into the presence of God. He's acknowledging that we're sinful beings, that we come into the presence of God. He's not saying when you, when, when you pray, pray like this with, with no mention of brokenness or, 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 or no mention of the fact that we're not there yet. Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray, forgive me of my sins because I'm a sinful person. But now he's acknowledging that when grace is taking root in our hearts, when we really experience that forgiveness, we're going to offer that to other people as we forgive. There is this idea that God is going to offer me forgiveness. God is going to cleanse me. And in turn, I'm going to turn around and offer that to the world. And then look at this last part. Lead us not into temptation. Now, this is still about, about Jesus. This is still about, but, but he's saying, what he's saying here is help me. People say all the time that the Bible's confusing. It's, it's, this is nothing to be confused about. You want to you sum this part up? Right, right there in the margin of your Bible. Help me. Help me, help me, help me. Because sinners can still approach God. You don't have to have it all together to approach God. You don't have to have it all figured out to approach God. I hear people tell me all the time, well, I'll come to church after I get my life straightened up. Good luck with that. Because if you could straighten it up by now, you would already have it straightened up. You need the power of God working in your life to straighten it out. And so... Uh, but but this is this is it. This is this is help me. This is this is good news for those of us who are still asking for help. Um, he- help me. Lead me not into temptation. Protect me. Guide me. Cover me. 
And, and this is still God-centered. This is still God, God, God. Um, but, but isn't this, like John just read, isn't this what we saw with Christ in the garden? Jesus is saying, Lord, Father, if there is any other way, I want that way. I don't want it to go down like this. My, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. I am scared of this. I don't want to face this. But ultimately, hallowed be your name. It's about you. It's not about me. And if I have to do this, I have to do this for your glory. It's not about give me a million dollars or give me a a new car or give me this, even give me healing. It's not about my will. It's about his will. And he's going to follow this up with an illustration that's, that's really strange to us in our Western culture. Stay with me in your Bibles. You, you have to see this passage from the right point of view or it gets really goofy. Um, he says to them, Which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever we need. Now, there's a few things we have to know about this culturally. Remember, in the Middle East, this was not uncommon. First of all, in the Middle East, bread is like silverware. Because they would take a piece of bread and, and they would dip it down into the, the meat, the, the vegetable, the, the, the sop, and they would eat the whole thing. And so he's not just asking for a couple of slices of Wonder Bread here. He's asking for a meal. Because in that society, if you had somebody show up to your house, it was required that you feed them. You offer them a meal. And, and if you didn't have anything in your home, there wasn't a 24-hour HEB you could run to. And so you had to go get something. And the way you did that was you went to your neighbor's house and you knocked on the door. Now, the neighbor is in bed, and he, he's saying, you know, I've got my children in bed with me. That's because everybody slept in one room. These weren't palatial estates like we had. They had a room they slept in, and usually it was higher up so that the cool air would, would be there. And, and, but if I start banging around looking for bread, I'm going to wake up the whole house. I'm not messing with you. The problem is, if we read this from, from the perspective that God is the guy in bed, then God sounds pretty harsh. God's like, ugh, stop bothering me. Stop asking me for stuff. But that's not really what's happening. Because we'll see in the later verses that this is about the guy who's doing the asking. That's us. That's who we're supposed to be looking at. Um, The point of the story is is from the guy who's knocking. He he says the same thing again in verse 10. Everyone who asks, receive. Anyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And, and so he, he's teaching us here that, that this is how you pray. You're going to persistently ask. You're going to persistently knock. You're going you're to persistently ask that the name of God be glorified and that God give you the things that lift him up in your life. Now, that's the easy part. We've got that. We're not hard. We, we don't struggle with asking. We've got the asking part nailed down. But, but we struggle with the seek. Because a lot of times we're good at asking, but we're struggling with seeking. 
We get stuck in the same cycles over and over again with praying, God, God, take this away from me. Um, God, I hate this about me. God, please do something here. Um, um, Lord, take this from me. Um, and so we have this short circuit. Let me give you the examples. Some of us, you have a, we have a short circuit when it comes to relationships. You know that. We destroy every relationship that, that we get in. And so we keep asking God, God, change my heart. But we do nothing. No counseling, no recovery, no changes on our part whatsoever. That's the seek part. When, when, when we ask God, God, take this from me, we've got to do something to seek that. We've got to take some kind of step to see that through. I'll have couples come to me all the time and they say, we're asking God to heal our marriage. And, and you ask, what, what are you doing along with that to seek God? Are you, are you in counseling? No. No, we're going to take care of it ourselves. If you could take care of it yourself, you wouldn't be here. And, and, and so we, we get into this place where we won't seek help because we're embarrassed. Let me tell you, divorce is more embarrassing. We have to seek along with the ask. We have to ask God, hey, God, help me. I can't do this by myself. But then we follow His leading so that we are going in the direction of healing. Because ultimately, it's not about that. It's about fix my marriage, fix my heart, fix my sinfulness so that your name may be glorified. Hallowed be your name. Because what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A loving father is never going to give to his child something that's going to hurt them. Uh, a, a loving father is not going to let that child do something that's going to destroy them. No matter how much they whine, no matter how much they cry, no matter how much they plead. Parents, you got this, right? You've been there when they're begging and begging and begging and begging, oh, I need this, I need this, I need this. And you know this is not something that's going to, to do or, 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 or help them or make them the kind of person that you want them to be. And so you have to say no. Sometimes I think we forget that God sees things better than we do. And so we're praying, we're begging, we're asking, we're lifting up. And God's saying no, because I love you. No matter how much you want this, no matter how much you're going to cry over this, no matter how much you're going to be mad at me over this, I'm not going to give it to you because you can't see what I can see. You can't see how this is going to wreck your life. And so the answer is no. Ultimately, Jesus says it's about glorifying God. That's what our prayer is about. At the end of the day, more than I need my, my marriage fixed, more than I need my, my wayward child home, more than I need health or, or, or healing, more than anything is I, I need to see the might and the power of the cross in my life. I need to see 
the power of God working in my life, and I need to allow God to be glorified. When we pray, we're entering into the presence of God. We're entering into a thin place. We're reaching through that thin place. The reason we talk about prayer so much around here is because you'll hear us say prayer is the work of the church. There is nothing more important that we can be about. There is nothing more important than we can be about. Because you'll go to conferences and you'll hear about, about organizational leadership, and that's great. But if you trust in organizational leadership, you're only going to get what organizational leadership can provide. If you trust in, in uh, church growth theory, you're only going to get what church growth theory can provide. We don't want that. I don't care about that. We care about hallowed be your name. And so prayer is the work of the church because we don't want what those things can provide. We want what God can provide. When you're praying... When you're stepping into that thin place, you're coming into contact with a God who can speak creation into being. You're coming into contact with a God who overcomes every great thing in our world. Sickness, sin, death. And when we come to Him, when we enter into that thin place of prayer, hallowed be Your name. God, You be glorified in my life. You be glorified in my marriage. You be glorified in my healing. You be glorified in whatever it is that I'm seeking. I hope you'll open yourself up to that this morning. There is no more powerful thing that we can offer you than to pray with you. And that's what we're going to offer right now. This morning, I've asked the elders and their wives to be at the back of the room. And they're going to go back there not because they have any magic hocus-pocus or direct line to God, but because James says the power of a prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective or availeth much, to use the old translation. As we sing this song... If the Lord is putting on your heart, I, I need to change the way I'm coming to Him. I need to change the way I'm praying. I need to, I need to step away from this, this selfish idolatry of heart that I've been doing, and I need to seek Him in a special way. Then, then let's start that this morning. That that you're feeling on your heart is not Jeff. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to respond to that. And go back there and just say, I need prayer. Nobody's judging you. Nobody knows whether you're leaving to go to Mama Juanita's or to get prayer. And so that's the reason we do it that way. Because it's not about where you're going. We don't care. It's about being lifted up in prayer. And so as we sing this song, go back there. Let somebody lift you up. Let somebody walk into that space with you. And let's hallow His name together. Won't you 